0: This is Mormon Awakenings. Please email me at mormonawakenings at gmail.com. Welcome back. I'm here in Utah now. I've moved here. Spent about a week driving from New England across the country to Utah. Got here about two weeks ago. Had to unpack all my stuff and had to settle into the new house. So I haven't had time to record any new podcasts. Sorry about that. I've been trying. I've been wanting to get more podcasts out, but you know, life gets in the way sometimes. I know that none of this is eliciting any sympathy from you, the listener, and so I'll just get right into it. There's a movie called The Shawshank Redemption. It's a great movie. If you haven't seen it, you ought to go watch it. It's terrific. It's a little dated at this point, The Shawshank Redemption, and it's got a bad title, The Shawshank Redemption. That's hard to remember. Nonetheless, I highly Recommend it. The bulk of the plot of the movie takes place inside a prison. And one of the prisoners inside this prison is Red. That's the character's name. And he's played by Morgan Freeman. In the movie, Red was given a life sentence and spent his entire life in prison, or the bulk of it. And over the years, Red would apply for parole. And over the years, he kept getting rejected until at the end of the movie. After spending the bulk of his life in prison, Red is finally granted parole. But by this time, Red is an old man. His entire life spent interacting only with prisoners and guards and wardens and people inside the prison. And so while he's been seeking his freedom during his entire time in prison, by the time it's finally granted, when he's an old man, Red finds himself suddenly afraid to leave the prison. Red finds himself afraid to enjoy the freedom he's been seeking his entire time while he's been incarcerated. An unexpected result after having spent years, decades, seeking freedom. After having spent decades seeking freedom, once it's granted, the prospect of freedom scared Red. How very odd, yet a phenomenon that resonates with us. And it's a phenomenon that raises a very interesting question, I think, anyways. And the question is this, do we really want what we're seeking for in life? Or do we just enjoy the seeking? Eckhart Tolle, who I've referenced before, has broached this question in a different way. He often asks, why are there so many seekers but so few finders? Anyone who's been on a mission for the church has had a similar experience which is kind of an interesting commentary on going on missions for the church. Every apartment I served in on my mission, everyone knew exactly how much time they had left before they could go home. And in one sense, one aspect of mission life was just waiting for the day when your mission was over and you could go home. But then when that day finally came, a lot of elders found themselves sort of discombobulated and they didn't know how to how to think anymore. They were so used to looking forward to this thing that would never come, that when it finally did come, well, some elders didn't want to leave the mission. And then they'd get home and have a hard time adjusting to being back in the place that they longed to be at while they were missionaries. How very strange. But of course, representative of a pattern that we see in life. If only I were rich, If only my family life were better. If only my job were better. If only I lived in a different part of the country. If only, if only looking forward to beyond what is or was or could be right in front of you. Looking forward so blindly to something that isn't that when what isn't finally is, one doesn't know how to think anymore and is paralyzed by fear, which again raises the question do we want what we're seeking for or do we just enjoy seeking? Do we want what we say we lack, or do we enjoy the experience of lacking? What a weird question. It almost seems ridiculous to ask, and yet, look around at the conduct of others. Look at your own conduct, and that's what you see manifested. Most people don't want to have something. They prefer to long for it. How very strange. Of course, if you read the New Testament, If you listen to what this guy Jesus is teaching, well, that's not what he's teaching at all. If you read the Sermon on the Mount, that's in the New Testament. That's in the beginning of Matthew. Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. That's the Sermon on the Mount. And it's called that because it's a sermon given by Jesus on a mount, on a mountainside. And in this sermon, he teaches the Beatitudes, which are really the foundation of Christian life. And that goes on for a couple chapters. Then at the end, in chapter 7, as he's wrapping things up, Jesus utters a couple of verses that are interesting. A couple of verses that, in my mind, you really need to take together. You need to think about them as joined, these two verses. The first of these two verses is Matthew chapter 7, verse 6. It's an odd verse, and I'm just going to read it to you. Give not that which is holy unto the dogs, neither cast ye your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn again and rend you. So that, that's interesting. Jesus says, look, if you've got holy knowledge, if you've got great insight, let, let's, let's just establish that that's what holy means in this context. Some great insight, some great knowledge, th- that, that is rare, that few people understand. If you have that which is holy in your possession." meaning if you understand something that's really deep and profound and holy, don't give it to the dogs. The dogs aren't going to understand it, for starters. And of course, Jesus doesn't mean literal dogs, you know, like Fido and Toby and Rex. He he means dog-like people. I mean, I think that's what he means. So in chapter 6, Jesus is saying, look, if you understand something that's deep and profound and holy and maybe even the insight to which is given to you through revelation from beyond. Don't, don't try to teach that, A, to real dogs, but also to dog-like people. People who are in a base, unintelligent, non-inquisitive state. Then he goes on and he says, neither cast ye your pearls before the swine. Again, I don't think he means your string of pearls that y- you wear to the ball. I don't think those are the pearls he's talking about. I think, again, he means deep insight, wisdom understanding. Don't try to teach that or give that to swine. And again, I don't think he means literally pigs, although he might, but he's talking about, again, people whose mental state is not such that they can even understand the profundity of deep revealed wisdom, much less accept or believe or implement such deep wisdom. They they can't even understand the concept of the deep wisdom. So, if you have pearls or if you have something holy, don't give it to the dogs or dog like people. Don't give it to the swine, swine like people. And then he tries to explain the reason why you shouldn't cast your pearls and your holy wisdom before the dogs and the swine. And this is the reason. These are the risks you're putting yourself at should you give that which is holy to the dogs or should you cast your pearls before the swine. Jesus says you shouldn't do that lest they trample them, your pearls. That which is holy, under their feet, and turn again and rend you. Wow, that I mean that that's heavy. But what's he what's he really saying? He's saying if you have rare wisdom, don't expect people who who are not in a good mental state to understand anything about your your rare wisdom. In fact, what you should expect is that they're going to trample your wisdom under their feet, and then they're going to turn and rend you. That means to smash you, run you up to trample you. That's heavy and not just heavy. It doesn't exactly comport with the missionary spirit, does it? Don't cast that which is holy. Don't cast your pearls before the dogs or before the swine because the swine and the dogs are just going to trample it under their feet and then they're going to turn and rend you. They're going to turn and trample you. They're going to attack you. I mean, that's, that's what the verse is saying. How odd at the end of this great Sermon on the Mount, the sermon which has served as the foundation for Christian life and thought for 2,000 years. At the end of that, he says, oh, by the way, if you have something holy, if you have something that's so special to you, you can view it as a pearl, you better hold that tight. Don't share it with the swine and the dogs. They're not going to appreciate it, A, eh? And then they're going to attack you. Okay, so everyone who's listened to the preceding two chapters worth of sermon on the mount, and who knows how long that took? Did it take an hour or two or two days? You know, who knows? But they've been sitting on this mount, listening to this great sermon, this, this epic sermon, and then at the end of it, he says, don't cast your pearls before swine. Don't give that which is holy to the dogs, because they'll turn and they'll attack you. So, so everyone sort of snaps awake and says, oh, there's a little bit of danger here. There's a danger to knowing something that the masses, that the group, that the bulk of the people on earth maybe don't understand. And forget about the bulk of the people on earth. Just think about the bulk of the people in your town or in your school or in your ward or in your family. You know, if you have some great insight, and it's not, you know, just something that you think, it's some truth. There's a danger to these things that are holy. They're they're combustible. They're volatile. They're, they're, they can be dangerous. They can be provocative. And you got to be careful with how you handle this stuff because the group who doesn't agree with you, has no insight, is swan-like and dog-like, they might attack you. And again, the question is, well, why would anyone attack? And of course, the answer is obvious, fear. Let's think back to the Shawshank Redemption. The character Red is fearful the characters inside the prison, are fearful. And preaching to get outside of the prison to most of the prisoners, that never goes well. And I think Jesus is trying to warn his followers, be careful. After he gives this warning in verse six, Jesus then, in verse seven, teaches something very, very interesting as well. He says, ask and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. He does not say, seek, and keep longing, and keep seeking, and really get used to seeking, to the point where seeking becomes a habit, to the point where you define yourself as a seeker, to the point where you can't stop seeking without destroying your self-image. That's not what Jesus is teaching his followers here. He says, ask and it shall be given you. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. But you got to seek with the intent to find. You got to knock with the intent that someone's going to open the door and you have to do it. And then when you receive, when the door is open to you, going back to verse six, you got to be careful with it because there are a lot of And this isn't a polite way to say it, but there are a lot of dogs and swines out there who aren't really seeking, who aren't really knocking, who have found nothing. And if you try to give what was given to you, if you try to show or describe what's beyond the door, the dogs and the swine aren't going to care. In fact, they're going to attack you. Nonetheless, seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. But alas, many of us don't want to do that. We enjoy the process of seeking. We enjoy the process of longing. We enjoy the state of lacking. It gives us something to do, to seek, to long, to complain, to be a victim. Going without gives us an identity as much as any prisoner had an identity as a prisoner inside the Shawshank State Penitentiary. and That that was the name of the prison inside the movie, The Shawshank Redemption. And As we all know, once you start messing with other people's identity, they go crazy crazy with fear, because it's the individual, him or herself, who must do the seeking, who must do the knocking. It's the individual, him or herself, who must say, I'd like out of this prison. I don't care what's beyond it. I want to find a way out. And we all get to that point on our own time. Until then, we're in our own prisons that we've built for ourselves. The prisons of thought, the prisons of assumptions, the prisons of expectation, ours or others. The prisons of tradition, the prison of the pro forma. And most of these prisons are so subtle, they're invisible. Not only are these prisons made up of thought, bad thought, or bad thoughts that we ourselves produce, but they hide in that we don't even notice these thoughts. We don't even notice the assumptions on which we're conducting our lives. That's when they're really invisible. I was listening to General Conference yesterday. I find there's a lot of good, much to be inspired by, but there's always an underlying assumption. Sometimes it's stated actually quite explicitly, but many times it's just sort of assumed in a lot of the talks. And the assumption is this we're living in a very dangerous, evil, horrible time, a time full of travails. That's an underlying assumption of, you know, you could say all of General Conference. We're living in a very dangerous, wicked, Time of travails. And whenever I hear that, my reaction is always, Are you kidding? We live in the greatest, most abundant, comfortable time in the history of Earth. I mean, it's not utopia, and some people are living even better lives than others, and it's not all equal, but all things equal, everyone during this time period is living in a safer, more abundant, more egalitarian society than any period ever in the history of the Earth. You know, it was a dangerous time full of travail, World War II, or the Civil War, or the plague years during the 12, 13, 1400s. How about when they dropped the atom bomb on Hiroshima, or the Dust Bowl, or the time of the French Revolution, or the Soviet Revolution, or, you know, you can go on and on and on, and no matter what period you pick out in history, ours compares favorably. So why do we imprison ourselves with this thought that we're living in such a horrible, scary time full of travails and trials and evils? it's not free of evil okay i'll grant you that it's not free of travails fine it's not utopia but that assumption imprisons us the assumption namely that we're living in some horrible time period the most wicked time on the history of it's just not true it's not true sorry are there dangers in today's world of course should we be mindful of them and look out for them and yes nonetheless that fear the fear of you know great evil is it, it imprisons us There are other assumptions broadly that we make as a people, but there are lots more assumptions specifically that you as an individual or I as an individual make that imprison us in our daily lives. I'm not smart enough. I don't have enough energy. I I can't get ahead. I'm a victim. Other people need to change so I can be happy. I don't have enough money. My, My spouse isn't nice looking enough. All assumptions, all imprisoning us. What's scarier is that many of us, don't want to find when we start seeking solutions. Many of us don't want to escape these prisons. Many of us don't want to knock, or if we do knock, we're not knocking with intent. That was a mouthful. But you know, there's a difference when you knock on a door hoping that someone's going to be there. There's a difference between that sort of knocking and knocking on a door hoping that someone isn't there. And let me give you an example. When I was a kid, I had the character building experience of having a paper out. That's how information was distributed back before the internet newspapers would gather all the information then they'd print it out and then they would rely on a network of 12 year old boys 13 year old boys one of which was me to get up every morning at dawn and ride around the neighborhood and hand them out and that's what i did i had a paper route it was it was given to me i inherited this paper route from my older brother who inherited it from our oldest brother and my parents made us all do it, thinking that it would build character. And I, I think it did, actually. I'm making jokes about it now, but it built character. Anyways, part of the job of the paperboy is going around to all your customers once a month to collect the monthly subscription fee. And there were a couple customers who, who scared me. There's this one big fat guy who always had a cigar in his mouth, and he always wore like a white wife beater undershirt. And whenever I would go to his house to collect the monthly subscription fee... You know, because I had to go every month. Well, for starters, he he never liked seeing me. He always frowned when he saw me, and then he would quiz me as if he was trying to prove that he had already paid, or that he he ought not have to pay, or somehow the billing practices were corrupt. And why was he paying yet again? And and we were talking, and we were talking like five bucks or something. I mean, it was it was a very nominal sum. Yet he acted like, you know, I was you know blackmailing him yet again every time I showed up. And so after a while, I. I stopped going to his house, or I would knock on the door a hoping that he would not answer. Well, that's not knocking with real intent, right? Because I would rather avoid that guy. I'd rather give that guy a month's worth of papers for free and, and eat the cost myself than have these monthly confrontations. My point in telling you this little anecdote is no doors will be open to you unless you're knocking with intent. The intent being that you want the door opened. You want the understanding. You want the wisdom. You want out of the prison. You've stopped defining yourself as someone who wants to lack, who enjoys longing. And instead, you want to find. You want the door to be opened. Well, Jesus says, seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. Ask and it shall be given you. Well, why don't we have success when we think we're doing just that? Part of it, I think, is because we think deep down that Jesus is is not right. He's wrong. It's not that simple. Jesus doesn't know what he's talking about. We don't say that explicitly. We may not even be conscious of that thought in our head. It may be a subconscious thought. It may be one of those underlying assumptions that we're not even aware of. But the assumption is basically this guy, Jesus, is you know full of it. That's not how it works. And then we have other thoughts like, okay, I'm willing to ask. Who do I ask? How do I ask? I'm willing to knock, but how exactly does one knock? How does one seek? And then we make up a bunch of rules about how hard it is, in fact, to really seek. Well, it's not that. Re- you know, by the way, we do that in our church a lot. We, we explain how difficult seeking and asking and knocking really is that, you know, with long lists of to-dos and, and how we need to qualify and worthiness standards and, and work and all this stuff. And again, more assumptions, unspoken, unrecognized. And you, th- you can think of a zillion other reasons why you ought not believe Jesus. You ought not believe this verse in which he says, ask, and it shall be given unto you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened. And all of those assumptions, all of those reasons constitute your own prison that you're stuck in. Because any thought that you have that includes the word can't in it in regards to this verse, this deeply profound verse, this pearl of pearls, this most holy verse, any thoughts that you have vis-a-vis this verse that include the word can't, those thoughts are imprisoning you. And it's because part of you loves the longing. Part of you loves the problem. Part of you loves the lacking. And until you really want out of the prison, yourself, you, yourself, until you really knock, seek, ask with real intent, you'll be stuck there with all the other prisoners lost in prison culture, lost in the mindset of limitation. But one day, and I think this day comes for everyone, you'll get sick of living that way. One day you'll wake up and you'll feel like a chick stuck inside this shell that suddenly is too small. And you'll start pecking at the shell. And I think this day comes for everyone. And when that happens, you're going to get insights, real insights just for you, just for your life, just for your path. And these insights are going to feel like revelation. They're going to feel like they're Given through synchronistic miracles. And you're going to have insights that are going to propel you forward. And you're going to have this deeply holy experience. And you're going to view these insights that you get when you really seek, when you really ask, when you really knock. You're going to view those insights as pearls, as holy. And then you'll understand verse six. You'll understand that those insights are for you in regards to the specifics of your life. And they're not general, and they're not for everybody. And if you go out and you try to preach to everyone, particularly if that is driven by ego, if you go out driven by ego to try to show the rest of the world how holy and how raised your awareness is, the dogs and the swine are going to trample your insights, A, and then they're going to turn and trample you. And of course, that verse makes all the sense in the world once you begin to have your own holy pearls. But those pearls will never, ever come if you're in a state of mind that loves not having them. If you love being a seeker, if you love being a knocker, if you love complaining about your lack, and you've built an identity around those things, you can't find by definition. The door cannot open unto you by definition, and nothing can be given to you by definition because you're not really asking or seeking or knocking. At the end of the movie, The Shawshank Redemption, spoiler alert if you haven't seen it, but at the end, Red does leave the prison. He does achieve freedom. He's granted parole. He leaves the prison. And the world outside is wildly unknown to him. Technology has advanced. Society has advanced. The culture on the outside has changed. During his many decades Inside the prison. He also finds himself, even though he's surrounded by people on the outside, he finds himself alone because he has no friends. All of his friends are inside the prison. And there's a period of time when he's a little confused, but then he remembers something that one of his friends who had escaped earlier in the movie said to him. One of his friends left him specific instructions. And this friend told Red in these specific written instructions that should he be paroled, should he find himself free on the outside of the prison to go to a specific hayfield in a certain town and dig in a specific place by the tree. And there he'll find a package. Red's friend had left him these instructions before he himself escaped the prison. Well, after Red found himself on the outside of the prison for a while, After a period of feeling a little alone and a little afraid and worried, he remembered this promise that he had made to his friend, the prisoner who had escaped, to go to that town, to go to that hayfield. So Red did that. He went to the town. He went to the hayfield. He found the package. And inside the package was a lot of money and directions to go to Zewataneo in Mexico. Zewataneo, for those who don't know, is a beautiful coastal town in Mexico. It's beautiful. I've been there. So, Red takes the money, travels down to Mexico, and there he finds his friend who had escaped. And now, as two freed people, they were reunited outside the prison. The instructions were for Red and for Red alone. They worked for him. There are instructions for you and you alone. There are insights. For you, pearls, pearls that are holy. Don't be so unaware of the prison that you're in. Don't be so fearful. Don't be so full of unrecognized, unacknowledged assumptions. Don't be so enamored with seeking that you never find. Well, I've gone on far too long. I hope you found something interesting here today. Please do email me at mormonawakenings at gmail.com. Until next time.